Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys today, and uh, it's such a pleasure to have Ken uh, with us here. Um, it feels right to have you here with us, Ken. Thank you for being here. So here's some context for this little gospel reading that we're going to ponder together today on this brilliant fall Sunday in late October. Um, Jesus has made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. I love that detail. And he was greeted by crowds cheering him on. The first thing he does when he gets to town is he goes to the temple the seat of religious power, and he runs the merchants off. Then he heals the disabled, and the religious authorities, the priests and the scholars, were understandably alarmed and angry with him. And that's quite an understatement, really. They were threatened and they were outraged that this renegade rabbi had invaded their territory and that the people loved him. So after Jesus' triumphal entry, there follows a lot of talk. The chief priests and the elders come, and they question Jesus. By what authority do you do the things that you do? And he answers them with another question of his own, and it's a question that's impossible for them to answer from their point of view. He tells them a couple of puzzling Parables, which we heard in the last couple of weeks. Um, and then the Pharisees come, and they pose the question that Jimmy alluded to in last week's sermon. They come and they ask him, should we pay taxes or not? And Jesus, ever wise, ever nimble, answers, give to the emperor what is, belongs to the emperor and give to God what belongs to God. An answer that only seems to raise more questions in their minds and hopefully in ours too. Uh, and so then the Pharisees go away frustrated. Then the Sadducees take a crack at it. They tell him this convoluted story, this theoretical story in order to trick him. There's a woman. She marries a guy. He dies. So, according, and this is all in accordance with Mosaic law. So, his younger brother marries her. Then he dies. And then his younger brother marries her. This goes on seven times. And finally, when they're all dead, she dies too. Of exhaustion? I mean, I would kind of think so uh, after being passed like property from one uh, brother to another that death might have been a relief, but that's not the point of the story. The, the, the point of the story is that the Sadducees thought they were being very clever, very smart, analytical, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So their question after they tell Jesus this crazy story is, in the resurrection, Whose wife will she be? I imagine that now Jesus is rolling his eyes and he's going, You guys, 
and I'm sure they were guys, you guys, you've got it all wrong. You've missed the point. The resurrection is nothing like that. God is not the God of the dead. God is the God of the living. That shut them up, stopped them dead in their tracks. Their worldview had no room for this vision of God. So that's kind of a, kind of a long-winded setup for where we find ourselves in the gospel today. But I think it's kind of important, it's important to me anyway, that the point is that up to this moment in time that we have this little snapshot of, there's been a lot of talk going on between Jesus and some very smart, very powerful people. And that Jesus has prevailed by beating the logicians at their own game. Not by winning the debate, by, but by shutting the debate down with questions that are unanswerable. When there is nothing left to say, an argument ends in silence. Well, not quite, because the Pharisees had to give it one more try. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? In other words, what does God really want from us? What does God really want us to do or be? And Jesus' answer probably won't surprise anyone sitting in this church today who has sat in this church once or twice before because Jesus' message, Jesus' teaching here is what we speak to almost every Sunday. Love God with all of your heart and your mind and your soul. In other words, love God with your whole being, everything that is you, and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hinges on this. Then he tells them another riddle that also has no answer. And by the end of their brief exchange, they had been silenced once again. So we begin and we end in silence today with the message of love smack dab in the middle. And I'm tempted to leave it right there. Nah, we're not going to leave it right there. And here's why. It's because I can so fully relate to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And it's not because I'm a religious authority, although I guess I kind of am. I mean, I've got a collar on, I've got this funny getup on. Um, and I get to stand up here and talk to you all, you beautiful, faithful people of St. John's. And yet, even though I love being a priest, I've got to admit that this role makes me feel a little uneasy at times. It's complicated, but it's probably only complicated because I overthink it. And as many of you probably know, because I've talked about it a lot, um, I came into the church this very church, actually that little chapel right over there, but I came to St. John's fairly late in my life. I was suspicious, at least skeptical, about Christianity. I had a lot of questions. 
Who or what is God? What does God want, if anything? What about the Bible? It seems obvious that it had been written by men. And in what little churching that I had prior to coming here, I always felt, why all this worry about judgment and sin, which mostly seemed to be worry about sexuality, maybe swearing, maybe telling a lie once in a while, lots of rules and too much concerns about what happens after we die. What about heaven and hell? What about Jesus? They say he was God. They say he was man. They say he was both. How's that work? Is he even real? What about the church? So many horrific acts of violence had been done in the name of God. I hadn't personally been hurt by the church, but I sure knew a lot of people who had. And I felt like I needed to figure these things out, to see for myself what this big nebulous thing called Christianity is all about. So I came with questions, an inquiring mind, and I found, much to my surprise, that I was welcomed in along with all of my doubts. When I got here, Ken was here. Ken welcomed me in. Thank you for that, Ken. You were here when I needed you. You were here when we all needed you. I wasn't asked to check my brain at the door. In fact, I was encouraged to use it. So, I dove in headfirst head first. I went to every adult formation class. I went to every sacred conversation. Pretty soon I enrolled in EFM, a four-year course where we studied the New Testament and the Old Testament and church history and theology. And I was in my element. It was a heady experience. It was a heady experience. And long before I came an ordained priest, I had taken on at least some of the characteristics of a Pharisee, or maybe a Sadducee. I can never keep the two straight. But religion had become an intellectual exercise. And was it ever fun? And looking back on it, it was also somehow a little empty. There was a nagging ache in my heart, sort of a background noise, this feeling that something in me was not getting fed. So, naturally, I decided to become a priest. I entered the Iona program, which was a four-year course, a three-year course of study uh, through the Diocese of Wyoming, and where I, I did more of the same, right? I learned even more about biblical scholarship, more history, more theology. I learned about liturgical practices. And at the end of three years, I was ordained. I was ordained on a cold, stormy winter night 
in a little church down in Big Piney. Maybe some of you were there, maybe not. But it was a wonderful experience for me. It was moving. Ron Pogue, who was our interim priest after Ken retired. Does a a priest ever retire, Ken? Okay, well, he says they do eventually retire, and that's uh, heartening to me. Um, But anyway, Ron Pogue preached at my ordination. And if you've ever been to an ordination, you know that the preacher always tries to find something nice to say about the person that's being ordained. Um, And uh, here's what Ron had to say, and he was kind of reflecting on what he knew about my journey. He said, well, Brian's getting ordained today. What a long, strange trip it's been. (laughs) And I loved that because it had been a long, strange trip, um, and it continues to be in a really beautiful way. Um, Because what I realize now after having been with you all for seven years now, priest here at St. John's, is that the long, strange, somewhat arduous trip, for me anyway, is the trip from my head to my heart. It doesn't seem like it's that far apart, but there is a gap there that needs to be somehow Navigated for me anyway, perhaps for some of you also. Look, we're all smart people. You are all smart people. I have don't know that I've ever been in a community of more thoughtful, more reflect, reflective, um, smarter, engaged people than I meet here at St. John's. And I love our time together. I love our questioning, our, our grappling with these thorny theological issues, these uh, issues of God and humanity and culture and community. And your brilliance really does amaze me. Don't ever hide your brilliance under a bushel. But what I'm even more grateful for is the ways that you embody God's love in the world. You have taught me so much. And I want to thank you. Because in my role as your priest, you all have changed me. You've helped me move from here to here. You're showing me the way, the way of love. Here's how you're showing me. You gather up around your sister when she's sick or when her husband dies. You play music together. You play cards. You send warm coats out into the community. You bring your pets to church once a year so that we may bless them and they may bless us. You're going to build a new building 
over there where Browse and Buy stands right now. And you're not going to do that because you're building a monument to yourselves or you're building a monument to the church or to fill your own coffers or to fill the church's coffers. You're building it because that is how we can spread more love in this community and well beyond. You bring in your babies so that we can baptize them into this community of God. You bring in the ashes of those dearest to your hearts so that we may bless and bury them. You bring your broken hearts so that we may hold you in your sorrow. You're teaching me every day how to love God with all my being, how to love my neighbor, even when it's hard, and sometimes it's pretty hard, and how to love myself, which is sometimes even a greater challenge. Love is Jesus' commandment, and this is what I know for me, and I know it for sure. All of the theology, history, criticism, liturgy, pastoral care, all of the theological reflection that I've done and led, all the intellectual work that is so pleasing to me really hasn't taught me much about love. But you have. I think what Jesus was trying to get the Sadducees and the Pharisees to see, what Jesus is trying to get us to see is that analytic Rigorous, logical thinking gets us somewhere, can take us far, perhaps, can gain us power and mastery in the world, and it can also keep us trapped in our intellect and can be a roadblock on that long, strange trip from our heads to our hearts. Because we can't think our way into love. We can only love our way into love. And you're all showing me, and you're showing one another the way. So love, it's mysterious, it's practical, it's divine, it's about as earthy as you can get, and it's almost impossible to describe or to explain. Let's try for a moment. Let's do one of those thought experiments for a moment. Try to explain your love for your children, if you have children. Try to explain your love for your parents, if you're the child of a parent. Try to explain your love for your pet or your best friend or your love for your favorite piece of music or your favorite book or movie or piece of art, anything that moves you, anything that you love. Or your love for a summer day or your love for a cold, crisp October morning when you can feel the change of season in your blood. Or your love for your church, your love for your hometown, your love for your country. Try to explain the love you feel without describing the why. 
I think we just love what we love. And why I love you is important, but it's not as important as how I love you. What matters the most is how we show our love. Love without works is just a warm, fuzzy feeling. Nothing wrong with a warm, fuzzy feeling. But showing up for one another is the work. You, my brothers and sisters, good people of St. John's, have taught me so much about the how, of how we show up for one another. So much more than I could ever learn from all the books that I've read, all the courses of study, all of the logic and theology that once seemed so important to me. Keep teaching me. Keep teaching one another. I know you will, because you've never let me down yet. I'm almost finished now, and soon we'll have a moment of that silence that is promised in the gospel. But I can't end this sermon today without, well, without acknowledging the sorrow, the anger, the hurt, and the fear that comes with living in a world that feels so broken. Eighteen people were senselessly killed in Maine on Wednesday night by a man on a rampage. Yesterday, a friend wept and told us how afraid she is every day when she, puts her, when she sends her kids to school and kisses them goodbye and worries whether she will see them again at the end of the day. That's the world she lives in. That's the world that we all live in today. Israel is pushing into Gaza in retaliation for horrific terrorist attacks. And innocent people are dying on both sides in that war. Ukraine is under attack by Russia. The political system in our country feels broken, feels like the wheels have fallen off in a way that feels beyond repair to me sometimes. This is the world that we live in. And my fear is that no matter how smart we are, how analytical and logical we are, I'm not sure that we're going to be able to think our way out of this into a better future. I hope I'm wrong. I don't know how smart we really are. But here's my greater hope, and it's the hope that Jesus lived into and calls us into and that hope is that we can love our way into a better world. Again, you are all my heroes. You are my best hope. Love starts here at home. And here we are. <laughs>